this place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. It's raining. They don't care. <laughs> These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash the check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello and welcome in once again to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. As always, I am Doug Scott and I'm joined today by Justin Hopkins, owner and major contributor to ScoopDuck.com. Justin, good afternoon, sir. Morning. How are you? How are you? Yeah, it's been a while, but it's morning. Yeah, still so far after uh, after getting home from Eugene at like midnight last night after SNL. So. <laughs> Yeah, and that's uh, certainly one of the major topics we're going to cover today. Um, I'm good this morning. It has been too long since we've had you on the show. Uh, I know, obviously, it's been summer, so there's less to talk about. And and I know some of the fans over on Scoop Duck are asking, like, oh, well, how, you know, how come the pods aren't coming more regularly? I think, you know, we've been pretty consistently a weekly uh, to more than weekly show throughout our 14-month existence. Uh, summer is summer's tight, right? Uh, people go on vacations. You're on vacation sometimes. I'm on vacation sometimes. Andrew's on vacation sometimes. Like, you know, it's hard to juggle schedules. Like, And quite frankly, there just isn't, there isn't as much to talk about at certain times of the year. I think we do a pretty good job of bringing content all year round. But, you know, July was pretty quiet, as was expected. And in August, you know, the first part of August might be a little quiet and it might ramp up a little bit later. But, you know, we're back and we're happy to have you back on this episode. And we do have stuff to talk about today. Um, obviously, Oregon held their SNL camp last night and you were there. So anxious to hear your thoughts on on that. I wasn't able to attend the show. I think this is the first one I've missed. I think I've been to everyone uh, from the Willie Taggart year till now. So I'll be anxious to hear your thoughts on that. And obviously, before we go there, there's some some kind of big news. And uh, for those of you who haven't listened, I touched on this in, in a special episode of the podcast that I released Friday night. But uh, Colorado obviously has moved on to the Big 12. The Pac-12 still doesn't have a media deal. Um, so we're down to nine teams now in the Pac-12, Pac-9, whatever you want to call it. Justin, you know, I won't belabor the folks with my thoughts again, but I'd love to get your your initial thoughts on Colorado's move, what this means for the Pac-12, and, and obviously more importantly to our listeners, what does this mean for Oregon, in your opinion? Well, I mean, obviously it's clearly the death blow, right? Because Colorado brought so much to the table that I don't think Oregon will ever be able to recover from this. No. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, the, the, the worst thing about losing Colorado is is that uh, they're going to take the uh, probably one of the better mascots in the country with them, Ralphie. That's probably the biggest loss to see in Colorado. Um, I, I think that that was, you know what, maybe that move made sense for Colorado and maybe it will make sense for Arizona. 
Uh, I don't think it makes sense for Oregon. I don't think it makes sense for Washington. I think both of those programs are what we'll say is kind of self-subsidized on their own, meaning that, you know, they could probably afford to take a different deal that might offer them a little bit less of a, of a TV slash revenue split and still be okay. Of course, the goal is making money, but I think, um, I believe this was one of your major points and it's one of my major points. Right now we're kind of in the middle of conference realignment stuff, maybe even at the beginning. Okay, we're not even in the middle yet. And I think you don't do your your school any long-term service by moving laterally at best into something long-term that could be dangerous. And, you know, you made an excellent point um, that I didn't know that the Big 12 has such a, a big exit fee. That's dangerous because I think that we're still, you know, more towards the beginning of this conference realignment stuff. I think that the Big 10 will expand. Will it be today or tomorrow or even in a year? Maybe not. And that's totally okay. It's kind of, people are already forgetting we're over a year removed from USC and UCLA, you know, making their moves or their announcements to the Big Ten. And really the only residual effect from that is Colorado going to the Big 12 last week. That's it. You know, so to me, it means, okay, there's still a lot of time involved. And I think uh, people fall into this doomsday panic mode about oh we got to get you know get into a conference we got to move now we got to move now and i just don't think you do i think right now playing the long game staying patient trying to see what the big tens ultimately going to do uh, you know i think this is a ways off but if you know maybe kicking the tires with the acc to see if there's something there down the road you know with those two conferences again that's something way down the road i think right now you're you know, people view the Pac-12 as bleeding out and it kind of looks that way. I agree that it looks that way, but I still think there's a conference that can be salvaged, that's worth salvaging, that could get a fairly strong media deal. And I think Oregon could be a part of that conference, or you can simply wait and see, you know, what the Big Ten and some of these others do. I think moving to the Big 12 is just a very short-sighted, immediate reaction and creates a very long-term problem if you're Oregon or Washington. Yeah, and for those who haven't listened to the episode I put out on Friday, uh, just to just to add to what Justin's saying, the Big 12 has a 99-year exit fee that's separate and and beyond whatever grant of rights or media deal they have. So that that alone will cost whatever team wants to exit the Big 12 hundred million dollars uh, in three or four years from now, and then add to that any early breaking of whatever uh, Big Twelve grant of rights might happen. So the cost, if Oregon were to join the Big Twelve now and then want to leave to the Big Ten in two years or three years or five years, the cost of that exit will be over a hundred million dollars and could approach one hundred and fifty million dollars. So any financial gains you make in the Big Twelve over the next five years could easily be surpassed by that exit fee. So, so even from a financial standpoint, you might be worse off moving to the big 12 if you look at it over a five-year horizon. And then obviously there's the, the non-financial issues, which I touched on yesterday, so I won't belabor again, but I think it's important. A lot of people don't understand that, that exit fee cost. It's huge. Well, and I guess here's my bigger point, just because Oregon and Washington was at first, doesn't mean they don't have value. Those two schools have a ton of value in the landscape of college football. Those are 
you know, maybe not at the top of the food chain, but they're certainly not in the same position that Arizona and Colorado and Oregon State and some of these other schools are from a branding standpoint. Oregon and Washington are going to be coveted. I think there's a lot more concern if you are in that middle section, if you're, you know, like, again, if you're Arizona, if you're Colorado, if you're Arizona State, Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, I mean, you've got a lot of schools there that don't have that brand value that Oregon and Washington do. So maybe all of the pieces haven't quite aligned yet. And that's okay because, again, I don't think people understand you don't just change conferences overnight. This stuff doesn't just happen immediately. There's so much involved, you know, in it from so many aspects. It's not just, hey, what's the money and what's the TV, you know, what's the media deal? It's not just that. There's so many different things that go into this that, you know, I think that um, I guess what gives me a lot of confidence is the fact that Phil Knight, I'm certain, is involved to some degree. Maybe he's not in there taking calls all day, but he's involved to some degree. And I'm confident that he's going to make sure that Oregon's taken care of for the long term. Whatever that means, you know, I think just kind of holding firm and sticking with the course and letting options develop is the way to handle this. And that's how it looks like Oregon's going to do this. I hope. Yeah, no, I think that's all well said. Any more thoughts on that before we move on to SNL? Um, no, I don't think so. No, it's just, I guess, in closing, last thing I'll say is pre preaching patience. Preach patience. Don't listen to everything that gets thrown up on Twitter by, you know, you pick whoever. Um, there's a lot of guys that have come back out of the woodworks once again with sources on realignment. And I, and, and I think you and I agree on this. There's probably a half dozen, half dozen people out there outside of universities that maybe have an idea of what's going on and a whole lot of people just speculating. So I would just, and even, you know, you and I haven't jumped in with, you know, oh, I'm hearing this and hearing this. We've kind of stayed on the sidelines and you've done a terrific job just outlining like, well, here's the hurdles. And here's what to watch for it without really saying, hey, this is what can happen. Just, you know, this is why this doesn't work or this works or whatever. And I would caution people just to stay patient. Yeah, and that's hard. I think, you know, especially in this day and age, everybody wants resolution. And obviously we've been waiting for 13 months now on uh, going on 14 months now on something. And that's very frustrating. I'm sure it's as more even more frustrating to the people in the room. Uh, you know, the athletic directors, the the coaches even, um, who will probably have to recruit against, you know, some nonsense based on this and and some and obviously the presidents as well. But, you know, as an Oregon fan, you just have to have faith that like when Oregon is going to be fine, like no matter what, no matter where Oregon ends up when all this is said and done, Oregon is like we got to quit thinking of ourselves as some sort of like little brother, like woe is me, like the, the world's going to run us over, like we've we've invested too much and we've we've accomplished too much over the last you know couple of decades like we're not going to get left behind oregon will be fine it may not be in the ideal place for right now it may not be perfect it may but they're going to be fine don't worry it'll be fine yeah you think they just renegotiated lanning's contract long term just so they could screw it up on this other side <laughs> you know i mean and right. uh you know and i know people want to Oh man, we're we're losing recruits because of you're not losing recruits because of this. I'm I'm sorry. Maybe internally some families have a, a minor discussion about it. I've never I've never heard a recruit say that they didn't pick a school because of a conference. I've never had anyone internally at Oregon say, Yeah, you know what? 
we just really didn't have a shot with this kid because he wanted, you know, he was afraid we weren't going to make it to a conference, whatever. It's, it's just not a thing. And if it is a thing, it might come up with one kid and everybody's going to say, see, look, it's hurting us. It's like, okay, maybe one kid out of, you know, 150 that they're recruiting in this class. And, and, and even then I'm not sure that that's the case. So, I mean, you, you got a top 10 ranked class. They've got 20 commits. They're not slowing down. Everything's fine. Just relax. Yeah, I mean, if you get to if you get to early signing day in December and the Pac-12 still doesn't have a deal, oh, first of all, I don't think that's even possible. Um, knock on wood. But I mean, at that <laughs> point, at that point, is it you know does it become a problem? Maybe, but it, it, it's definitely you know. And then of course you have the kids who are going to go to the SEC, but they're going to go to the SEC anyway. Like whether Oregon yeah. has a media deal in in the Big Ten or the Big Twelve or the Pac-12. Those kids that say, I want to go play in the SEC are going to go play in the SEC regardless. So whatever. You didn't exactly. lose them because you were never were going to get them in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Should we talk about Lanny's contract or, or just move on to SNL? No, let's do it. That's a good that's a good segue. Yeah. So obviously Oregon and, to my opinion, Dan Lanning both made significant commitments to each other uh, with this new deal. I mean, obviously his base salary – goes up to 7 million starting immediately. So, you know, uh, so it's, it's this, this fiscal year is kind of interesting because it's basically about 45% based on his previous salary and 55% based on his current salary. So over the course of this year, he'll earn about 6 million on a $7 million base salary. Uh, but then as you get to the next fiscal year, the, it will be 7.2 million then 7.4, et cetera. Um, I'll just lay out all the terms here, Justin, cause I have them, um, in my spreadsheet. And then you can talk about what that means. Um, uh, it goes up 200,000 a year in base salary. So again, you're looking at five years from now that that number's approaching 8 million or is 8 million a year. Um, in addition to that, he gets a million dollars a year added to a deferred compensation account, which is basically a retirement account. Think about, think about it that way. So really in effect, his base salary isn't 7 million, it's 8 million with that deferred comp in there, which is, a massive number. 8 million is a massive number. It puts him in, you know, the top 15 in the country. Um, number two in the pack will be number one in the pack when Lincoln Riley leaves uh, a, a fair amount ahead of, of Kyle Whittingham, who's currently at 5.8 million, I believe um, higher than anyone in, in the big 12 and, and, you know, really on par with the best of the best around the country. I mean, he's not earning, not earning Jimbo money or or Nick Saban money, or, but he shouldn't be right. But but top fifteen is is a very very fair salary for a guy who's entering his second year. It's more than a fair salary, but it's a commitment. It's a commitment on Oregon's part. You're our guy. We believe in you. We love what you're doing with our program, and we're betting on you to the tune of somewhere between a minimum fifty million dollars and potentially with all of the other things that I haven't even talked about yet, could could go up to eighty million dollars. So a couple other things in his contract. If he wins 10 regular season games, a year gets added on to the end of the contract. And that can happen up to three times over the life of the contract. So this contract, which is six years, could extend as many as nine with those you know, with those 10 regular season game um, seasons. And additionally, he's got you know tons of incentives. So you win 11 games, it's another 200,000. You win 12 games, it's another 200,000 on top of that. You make the Pac-12 title game or whatever conference you're in title game, that's 100,000 more. You win that, it's 150,000 more. All of those are additive. All of those are additive. Um, 
you make the the playoffs, you know, it's another hundred thousand. You make the second round, it's another hundred, it's another two hundred thousand. You make the semifinals, it's two fifty. You make the finals, it's another two fifty. You win, it's a half a million, right? So tons of incentives loaded in there, which I think is the way Oregon has approached the last couple of contracts with both Landing and Cristobal before him is to have to have a ton of incentives baked in. Um, and I think that that is where they want to be. But also they they made a massive investment on on the base pay. And they said, you're our guy. We believe in you. We love what you're doing. We want you here over the long term. And, and we're putting a $50 million plus contract in front of you to, to guarantee that. And uh, one other incentive in there, if if Landing were to win a national title at any point in time at Oregon, his base pay goes up by $500,000, uh, which I, I, you know, if he were to win a national title at Oregon, I assume there'd be a new contract written up anyway. But, uh, but it's in there in the worst case scenario for him. And then, you know, from Oregon's standpoint, they have a they've gotten a twenty million dollar buyout in that contract. So if Dan Lanning were to leave Oregon, you know he has to pay the university twenty million dollars. And somewhat unique in my experience with looking at these contracts, that number does not go down over time. Most of these buyout clauses kind of have a, a declining value over time. So the more the more years that go by, the lower and lower that number goes. In this case, in this contract, that number never changes. For the life of the contract, even if extra years get added, no matter what happens, if if he leaves Oregon on his accord to go to another school or quit or whatever, go to the NFL, he has to pay $20 million. And that is true even through the final game of the final season of the contract. And that final game is stipulated to be whatever postseason game Oregon is in. So if he if he coaches to the end of the seven-year contract and at the end of the seventh year decides he's going to leave, and he leaves in in December. He still has to pay twenty million dollars if he doesn't coach the bowl game. So, I don't think it'll come to that. Contracts rarely, if ever, come go to the end, right? But I think it's important. It's a commitment on his part to be here at Oregon and be in this community. And, and I think he's talked a lot about, and you see a lot about how entrenched in the community he's becoming. So, for the you know chicken littles who are so worried about getting poached. One, I, I think the number of schools that Lanning would actually leave for is a very small number, less than ten. Um, you know, and and those are schools that would would pay his would pay the buyout, would pay the money, but they aren't necessarily schools that would be looking at him right now. And and I think he's he's it, it for all intents for everything I can assume and see, it looks like he's here for the long haul. I'll shut up and let you talk now, Hop. No, no, you're right. This is, um, it's a very, what do I want to say? It's a very balanced contract. And what I mean by that is I think there's a commitment from both sides to making this a long, a, a very viable long-term arrangement, right? You've got Lanning who has, I, I don't, I think you might've touched on it. I'm pretty sure that's the biggest buyout in college football, $20 million. And like you said, it's the life of the contract, which is, you know, something that's not uh, common. So, you know, on Lanning's side, it takes a lot to get your agent to agree to a buyout that large because their job is to go and ne negotiate you, you know, better contracts as often as they can and, and keep upping your salary. And basically Lanning's taking that tool away from him, uh, which is great, which is great for Oregon. Um, and, and, you know, and for Oregon, you've got, you've gone and made a very aggressive and generous offer you know, early on in his career to remain at Oregon. You're saying, hey, look, we, we see the potential in you. We see value in keeping you here. 
we're making you a generous offer that's probably a little bit above market value right now, but make, you know, doing that so we can keep you here long term so that we can give you the resources to take this thing to the next level. Um, give us something back, you know, there's ergo the, the, you know, the massive buyout. So I, I think that to me, this is the biggest sign I think we've seen from Oregon because this is, is probably the most aggressive you know, contract that they've renegotiated for a head coach in a long time. That's something Rob Mullins ever. really, yeah, doesn't ever. do ever. And, and, you know, at times, at least in the moment, it's felt like that's been a detriment for Oregon. You know, there were, were times where you thought, okay, Mario Cristobal was great first year, second year, whatever, you should probably get pretty aggressive on the next contract, you know, and that was just one example that we felt that way in that moment. I think that if you kind of look at it in this moment, you look at Dan Lanning's salary, you know, and the way he's recruiting and the fact that they won 10 games against a very tough conference. Um, sure, there were mistakes, but if that was like, if that was the the floor, we're in, we're in really good shape. So uh, I love it. I love that Oregon did this. I think it, it, it goes against, you know, what they've done in the past. And I absolutely love that they were aggressive here. And I love that Dan Lanning said, yeah, put whatever buyout you want on there. I'm staying. So like you said, there's probably only a half dozen or less schools that if they got serious about Lanning, you know, could could get his interest. And they're the pretty obvious schools, right? You're talking Bama, you're talking Georgia, you're talking maybe LSU, you know, some of those heavyweights who who do have really deep pockets. But and I said this, and I know I said this, but I'm kind of backtracking a little. You know, most schools in that arena aren't scared off by a buyout. But I will backtrack a little and say $20 million is a buyout that would give pretty much everybody some pause. Okay, they might still go forward with it if it's if it's what they think they need to do. But, you know, that one is actually big enough to give most schools a lot of pause. So I think... Um, Again, I think it was a great contract. I, I love that Oregon has gotten aggressive in trying to keep this thing going for the long term. And I'm excited to see what the uh, what the Danimal era is like at Oregon. Yeah, I think just to touch on a couple of things you said there, um, you know, yeah, I, I don't think I mean, if, if if one of those schools you mentioned three or four years down the road says Dan is definitely our guy, we have to get Dan, then yeah, they'll pay the 20 million. If it's, we like three coaches, you know, fairly similarly, Dan is one of them and there's two others and Dan has a $20 million buyout and the other guy has five, you know, those schools might go that way instead, right? Because that will become a, a factor and it's something where they see coaches as, as, you know, think about like Oklahoma when they went out and, and did their last hire. By most accounts, they liked Venables and they liked Landing, you know, relatively equally. Well, if one had a $20 million buyout and one had a $5 million buyout, they probably would, would pivot first to the, to the guy with the lower buyout if, if they saw them as relatively equal. So, uh, you know, it does, it does matter a little bit, but it won't matter if, if it's like Dan is our guy, we're coming at him and he's interested. So, uh, but that's for five years from now or three years now or whatever down the road. And, and obviously if that happens, it means that he will have had tremendous success here. Like not just winning 10 games a season. Like we're talking about deep playoff runs. Like those teams aren't coming after landing at Oregon. If he goes 10 and two makes the playoffs and gets knocked out in the first round, like they're right. not like they're, you know, they're only coming at him. If he's like in the semifinals, in the finals, you know, 
you know, something like that. I, I think the other thing you said I, I wanted to touch on, which I think is important, is, you know, one of the things that was frustrating for a lot of Oregon fans, and I, and from what I understand, the administration as well, you know, was under the crystal ball time here is Mario came back every year for a raise. Every year he came back for a raise. He was always leveraging another job opening in the market. You know, may not even be an, a job that he was interested in or was interested in him, but his agent was doing a good job and he was negotiating another raise, negotiating another raise. And I, I think Oregon, I think that really soured Oregon uh, quite a bit because they felt like we're investing in you. We just gave you a new contract and you're here six months later asking for another new contract. And I'll fault Oregon a little bit. Maybe they were underpaying him. I, I don't know. Um relative to the market at the time. But I also, I also think that that, that didn't, that didn't show, I I think that didn't show a commitment on Mario's part either. Right. Like he wasn't committed to being at Oregon necessarily. He was committed to getting himself the biggest contract he he could or leveraging other schools to get that or, or looking for, you know, to leave. And I think that, I think that lack of commitment on both sides, I think hurt, hurt the school, hurt the fan base, hurt Mario probably. And I think this is where both sides now are saying, Hey, let's make a commitment to each other. And I think that's a big difference. And I would expect, you know, we're not going to see Dan coming back next year for a raise. Cause I think to your point, he's probably over market right now for the first couple of years of this contract, but they're betting on him. And if he does what we think he will, what the school thinks he will, then he'll be at market for a couple of years and then he'll be under market maybe in year five or six. So hopefully we'll, this will get rid of the annual dance we got so tired of. Oh, is he going to leave? Is he going to leave? Let's just put that nonsense away. That's not going to happen now for the next couple of years. And, and thankfully so. So everybody, including recruits, most importantly, which I think is why a big part of it from Dan's angle too. Recruits are going to say, oh, he's not dancing around. He's not talking about leaving. He's not trying to get a new contract. Like let, that noise isn't out there and, and we can just, he's, we know he's going to be there and we can, we can actually recruit. Um, the last thing I wanted to add on there, I forgot of, so it doesn't matter. Let's move on. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't that important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's move on to SNL. You were there. Um, obviously, you know, SNL, and I think you covered this really well on your site yesterday. It's something we've been talking about on the podcast a little bit, but I think on your site, you really covered it well, is that the pivot of this event has changed because the recruiting calendar has changed. When this was started under Willie Taggart, it was very much about the current recruiting class and future ones, right? But the, but you know, you only had, and by this time of year, you might have five or six guys in your class in 2017 and you're bringing out the kids from that class to try to get them either committed at SNL. I think Taggart famously had four or five or six commits during that, during that event at that one year, they didn't all stick obviously when he left. Um, but as we've seen the, the years go on since then, the recruiting calendar has changed. Commitments are getting earlier and earlier. June is the big commitment month now, right? The big official visit month, the big commitment month in Oregon, as you mentioned, has 20 kids in their class already. So there's only, five or six, you know, more that are going to come and they're not going to come in SNL. So the event has really pivoted to be much, much more about the, the future classes, building that bridge to the 2025s, the 2026s, and the, even the 2027s in those future classes. So if people are still stuck, if Oregon fans or others are still stuck in the mindset of like, where are all these commitments coming out of SNL? Like they need to readjust like their understanding of what this event is and what it, and it's really about the future. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I think that is an incredibly important, um, you know, uh, just thing to remember, because like you said, I, I think if you're a diehard recruiting fan, 
and you know somebody's on the message board every day and and you're really invested in it's pretty easy to see and monitor those changes but if you're a casual recruiting fan which there's many many more of than the diehards you know you're kind of aware that things change a little but maybe just not totally in tune with all of the changes that go and the hard part is it's so rapid i mean we're literally talking about three four maybe five years ago at most that you know your big expectation for this event at the exact same time uh in the in the calendar year that this event would yield you three, four, five, six, seven recruits, or it would get you three or four recruits, you know, to commit. And then also, you know, two or three or four guys that that put yourself in position to get a commitment for soon after. That's really what this event was for. And now here we are that that four or five years later, whatever, three, four years later, and it's totally changed. You know, I mean, Oregon only had a couple of uncommitted 2024 guys at camp. You had many more of your guys that were committed that just gave you a chance to coach them a little bit, continue to build that relationship, um, you know, and keep them committed and happy and, and growing a bond together. But your emphasis this year for Oregon was those 2025s and 2026s. The, the only commit so far as you and I are recording this to come out of it is a class of 2025 wide receiver Adrian Wilson. So, you know, that really lends merit to what we're saying is that, yeah, this was your chance to build those relationships with those, you know, young underclassmen. You're not expecting them to commit. Your goal is to have a good enough time now that maybe this season they want to come back or maybe early in the 2024 calendar year, which, you know, has turned into January and March, you're getting them back on campus immediately because that's when you're you know, hitting the ground running and recruiting for that, um, you know, that for that cycle for that class. So I think it was great. I felt just kind of my overarching thought on this camp was this was the best group of underclassmen I'd seen at any SNL event in a long time. I think there was elite players in the 25 and 26 classes. I think there were guys that, um, you know, if you didn't know what class they were in, you could have easily thought they were class of 2024 recruits because that's how good they were and just how physically advanced they look. So uh, again, you know, I think that if Dan Lanning and Marshall Malco, if their, you know, main objective was to do that, I think they hit that, you know, out of the park. And I believe that it was. And, uh, you know, I could see this event being, it, I will be curious to look back in about a, in, in a year from now and see how many 2025 commits were at this event for Oregon, because I got a feeling, you know, quite a few of them, um, you know, will be, will, will have attended SNL this year. Yeah. It might be interesting even to track back and see how many of the 24s were at it last year or, or in the previous year, but I agree the 2025s will probably be a more telling number. Um, real quickly, before we go into the position by position, um, there were a couple 24s there. Uh, I think, what, seven or eight current Oregon commits were there, which is great. Oh, anytime you can get those guys back out, it just solidifies their commitment that much more, shows how locked in they are, gets them around the, the team, which is great. Uh, notably, you know, one non-commit to Oregon, um, you know, cornerback Dakota Fields, who, you know, I think was thought to be a heavy Oregon lean in the spring and then visited um, – USC in early June committed to them, canceled his Oregon official visit you know, later in June, 
uh, and then committed it to the Trojans. And by accounts, down in USC has been peer recruiting for the Trojans um, since then. He actually showed up at, at the camp. He didn't compete in the camp uh, for Oregon, but he did show up and he wanted to visit Oregon. And, and you know, hop, talk a little bit about, do you think this opens the door to a potential flip there? Is this just him wanting to show up and get a, get a trip and have fun? Or, or what's, what's the smoke on Dakota Fields? No, I think, uh, you know, I think Oregon's pretty smart, um, realizing that if they were to bring somebody in that would start recruiting for the school they're committed to, Obviously, that's a detriment, of course. And so I, I think they're pretty smart to know when that, you know, could be in play versus when it's not. So I don't think they would have brought in Dakota Fields, you know, only to watch him, uh, you know, recruit other guys to USC. I think there's a legitimate interest. I believe that when he committed to USC, Oregon was the biggest threat. Um, you know, it sounds like that relationship has stayed intact and Oregon has continued to recruit him, him at a high level. And I would say that there's probably about four or five, just off the top of my head, I'd say there's probably about four or five recruits out there committed to another school that Oregon's remained engaged with. By no means am I preaching that their future flips to Oregon. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying a lot can happen in late July, uh, you know, until December when they sign a lot. That is a lifetime in recruiting. So I think you maintain those relationships. Uh, possibly the school they're committed to doesn't have as strong of a season. You know, possibly that coach leaves for another school. You never know. There's so many things that can happen. Um, you know, so I think if you're Oregon, you maintain those relationships. I think Dakota Field's one of them that we'll continue to talk about. Um, I know I said as much when Elijah Rushing committed to Arizona. I don't think Oregon by any means is just gave up that day because he committed to Arizona. That's another example. I think you maintain that relationship. You don't push it. You just kind of keep it intact. And then, and if, you know, rushing has second thoughts in December or November or whatever the case might be, you still have that relationship there. So, you know, those are, again, are a couple of guys that you remain, remain after. I think Dakota Fields is one of them. Getting him on campus is great. Getting him around your other commits is great. And uh, I think you just need to kind of keep, you know, keep in touch. And hopefully I think you really need to get him back on campus for game this fall. All right, let's get into some of the position by position stuff. And and if you, for those of you who haven't, uh, you know, Hop did a great job and his staff did a great job over there on Scoop Duck and kind of talking about it during the event, kind of live, live, uh, live streaming, if you will, from the site as well as uh, you know, I got an update last night as well. But let's let's walk through this. Uh, let's start with the quarterback position. Obviously, a couple of big names there for for Oregon. They had commit Michael Van Buren out for the camp um, and then a couple of 2025 prospects, notably, you know, uh, Oregon, Oregon legacy, Achilles Smith Jr. Uh, and then I think uh, what was the bear boat. What's his name? The other one. Bachmeyer. Bachmeyer. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Now talk to us about you know, what you saw from the quarterbacks. Well, I know I wrote as much so, um, but I thought Achilles Smith had the best day. And again, that doesn't make him the best quarterback. Um, I think there's a lot that went into that. Of course, you're Achilles Smith Jr. Dad played in Oregon. You're in Austin Stadium. It's a pretty magical thing for that family, really. Um, no matter where he ends up committing to, you have to admit that that's a, probably a special thing for those two. He came in just kind of ready to go, I think. Uh, had the greatest touch on his ball. Just just seemed to you know, want to make a special showing, and I thought he did. Uh, again, I, I thought Michael Van Buren had some really nice touches on the day, some really good balls. He had good timing. 
Um, he was one of the fastest prospects at the camp, regardless of position. You know, of course, when you're doing seven on seven and stuff like that, it doesn't give you a chance to showcase your legs at all. So I thought he did well just throwing the ball. I thought Bear Backmeyer um, had an up and down day. I think you could see uh, you could see why he's highly ranked. I I just I think he struggled maybe getting some of the timing down a little bit with with the different wide receivers and stuff that he was around. But by no means did that make him a bad quarterback. I I think there was a lot of things there. Um, very clean release, just, uh, I mean, very little effort in throwing the ball. I think a lot of those things look great. So I can see why, you know, if you put him around players that he knows, he's probably going to shine a little more. So I I believe he remains another top guy. It's probably going to slide under the radar a little bit, but Ryder Hayes committed to Oregon last night as a walk-on. He's out of Texas. Uh, I'm not going to get you know, too excited one way or the other, because with it being July, a walk-on could land a, a scholarship somewhere else and, and, and off they go. And, and you know what, uh, tip your hat to him. Cause that'd be great for him. But so that's something worth noting. Oregon did land another, uh, Texas based prospect, uh, out of SNL, but again, that was as a walk-on. So that was kind of it for that group. I noticed once or twice, uh, he's a 2026 quarterback named Jackson Presley out of Oklahoma. I just kind of jotted down that I, I saw him have a couple really nice throws on the day. Um, but again, when you're watching a camp like this, you've got seven on seven going each direction. Uh, by the time you write something down on your notepad, you look up and, and, and a rep or two has already gone by. So again, I just had noted him. So I don't really have much more to add there, but did did note that uh, there was a couple of times I, I, I jotted him down as having, having a, a few nice throws. So that's kind of it for the quarterback group in a nutshell. All right, let's move on to running backs, uh, a position that I think is a real strength at Oregon right now and, and looks to be into the future. Obviously, they've got the commit from um, from Riggs for this coming season and then um, – or for, for the 2024 class, but they, they might take a second one again for two years in a row, which to me is kind of surprising, um, but I, I, maybe they're looking looking down the road at some attrition. Uh, obviously the headliner was Jason Brown, but tell us about what you saw from Brown and others in that group. Yeah. I, I mean, Jason Brown was the, was the clear best back there. Um, I didn't notice him at first, you know, you're doing just some, some simple, you know, carry drills at the beginning. And really what, what fo- took my focus to the running back group at, at first was uh, coach Lachlan, because no matter where you were, you could hear him on the field. <laughs> he's a very, uh, he's a very loud individual and by no means was it yelling. He's just got a, a very projectable voice, but um, yeah, as you start kind of watching it, keying on Jason Brown, you know, great build, um, caught a couple balls out of the backfield as well. So you you could see that he has that balance of being able to run the ball and catch the ball, um, you know, great size looking back. So I think that uh, I'm with you. If Oregon was not to land Jason Brown and only move forward with, with Dink Riggs in this class, I, I would be totally fine with it. I wouldn't see that. Um, you know, as, as a detriment, but I could also see the value in adding a guy like Jason Brown as well to this group, you know, good looking back. He was definitely the best one out there. I noticed Alvin Henderson a couple times, uh, the 2025 back out of Alabama. I believe he's an early four star in the on three rankings. Um, you know, again, this is, you know, one thing I need to probably back up. This is not an event centered or catered for running backs okay linebackers and running backs at this event don't really have the greatest opportunity to shine 
Um, you know, this is kind of a speed event. This is a, you know, wide receiver, quarterback, cornerback, a little bit of safety, um, you know, a little bit of tight end. You know, those are the guys that really get to benefit from this offensive line and defensive line go off to the side and do their thing, um, you know, which is great. But unfortunately, as is the case, almost always O-line and D-line move off to the other side of the field where you can't see them very well. Um, it's a constant battle between media and and uh, event organizers, not just in Oregon, everywhere. Uh, but safety's involved there, so I understand why they do it. But anyways, uh, with running backs, that's kind of what I saw. I know a lot of folks might ask about Jay Sean Lamore, Jaden's younger brother. Didn't see a lot there from him, but at, at, you know, just don't take that as an indictment because once again, um, you know, we had two guys there trying to watch. You know, I don't, I don't know what the number was, but there was nearly a hundred. Uh, you know, 100 campers participating. So you're doing your best. But yeah, Jason Brown, definitely the headliner. Alvin Henderson uh, also had a, had a pretty good night as well. All right, let's move over. We can cover kind of tight ends and wide receivers as a single group. Uh, like you said, at events like this, it's it's hard for the, you know, the running game doesn't really get any love, right? So it's hard for running backs to show out and, and tight ends are primarily at these kind of events. You know, you're primarily highlighting their the receiving skills and not their inline blocking skills. So let's talk a little bit about tight ends and wide receivers. Yeah. So uh, let's start with tight end, or tight end just because, you know, they had to commit there. AJ Pugliano was there, um, you know, running around doing a thing, obviously an Oregon commit out of North Medford high school. Uh, you know, initially you look at him and you could see why um, physically Oregon, you know, decided to, to, push forward with an offer and then his commitment, he's got the physical tools. You know, I know he suffered an injury during his season and just from my purview, it was, it looked like maybe he wasn't necessarily, you know, taking it half speed, but I think that he was very conservative out there, probably more so to prevent injuring himself ahead of what will be his senior season. So I don't blame him for that. I'm not going to dock him for it. Um, I haven't talked to him and didn't ask him about it, but I, I have a feeling that that's probably um, something that was in his mind. One that I will note as far as tight ends go is 2025 tight end Cody Signer out of Crane High School. You will have to look up where Crane High School is because it's way out in the sticks. But uh, anyways, uh, off memory, he's probably in the 6'5 to 6'6 range, you know, already around 225, 230. He's a class of 2025. Um, and his dad, Mitch Signer, played uh, football at Oregon back in the day. So also another one that I jotted down, probably more so just from the physical appearance than anything else. But, uh, you know, later looking up and seeing that he was, you know, basically an Oregon legacy kind of added to that a little bit. Uh, the one that I expect, so I expected to be able to get away with this and I was wrong because I had, you know, I, I got done with the event, uh, got done at 730, went to Elkhorn Brewing and grab something to eat and a couple beers while I wrote out, you know, an instant reactions article, which put me there till about nine o'clock. And for those of you who don't know, I live in Medford, so I had a two and a half drive, two and a half hour drive to get home. So uh, on my way home, I was getting texts about uh, Adrian Wilson. About halfway home, I got three texts that said, hey, watch, you know, Adrian Wilson. We, we feel like we're in a good spot, yada, yada. And 15 minutes later, it's plastered all over Twitter. <laughs> He's He's flipped his commitment from TCU to Oregon. I thought I could get away with mentioning that this morning. I was wrong. Um, Adrian Wilson is somebody I had written down. I didn't put him in my immediate reactions report 
I was hoping to kind of make it a little bit more of an insider tidbit today, but that didn't come out and that's okay. Uh, the other one that I, I plan on writing about when you and I are done here is Isaiah Mosey, the 2025 wide receiver out of Missouri. He's at Lee Summit North, which is also where Williams Nguyenary is, uh, you know, playing his senior year of football defensive lineman that was at Oregon. I thought Mosey might've been the biggest surprise at the event overall, no matter what position, um, he was good, like really good. And so I think that you'll see that Oregon will continue to recruit him at a high level, regardless of where, where Williams goes to school. Um, that was a guy that really raised his stock, at least with Oregon, if you will. And I think that fans should probably pay attention there. Otherwise, I don't have a ton to stand out. I, I would say that Trey Bolds out of David Douglas, an, a state of Oregon kid, 2025. Again, I just kind of jotted down that he had a couple cut, nice catches on the day. I don't really have a lot more to go on than that because, again, there's – I don't know. I'm just looking at the wide receiver group, and there's probably, you know, 25 kids in this group listed um, on the roster they handed out. Uh, but, again, he, he at least made an, a couple of catches that caught my eye. Um, so th that's kind of what I have for wide receivers and tight ends from the group. Yeah, and just uh, real quick for the new commit, Adrian Wilson out of Texas, he's a top one – 150 kind of range kid right now in the 2025 class top 20 wide receiver obviously early those rankings will change a lot over the next you know 15 months until signing day for the 2025s but that's kind of where he is and then you mentioned mosey uh and, and he's he's a top top 50 ranked kid in that class right now so um you know again two two blue chip wide receivers and and Obviously, Junior Adams continues to recruit at an extremely high level at the wide receiver position, um, just like like he has been. So, all right, um, uh, we can talk maybe about O line and D line as a group together. Obviously, sure. I, as you mentioned, it's hard to see much from O line and D line at this camp for two reasons. One, it's it's just hard to see a lot from drills in, in the first place, and then secondly, for whatever reason, these groups are always the furthest away. I can every SNL I've gone to, it's like I need. I need a high-powered like telescope to see anything going on with the offensive line and defensive line, but maybe you got a couple thoughts there. Yeah, so you know, as this just to kind of lay the groundwork, this at this event, um, you know, there is a media section down on the field that they have roped off, and that's always where I've gone. And this year, I decided to go up in the stands to give myself an elevated view, which I do think was um, the right call because it allowed me to kind of see the offense. So the offensive line warming up, you know, just basically doing backstep and, and it, you know, the basic simple stuff to get warmed up was literally right in front of the pen for the media. So it was on this side of the field, but defensive line was of course on the opposite side of the field, which is no big deal. They're just warming up doing one-on-ones. Well, when they went to, you know, one-on-ones O-line versus D-line, they all went to the opposite side of the field. So, you know, I, I did my best from my elevated view to kind of look over there and see, and I really paid attention. And I do know from past experience, and it looked like, uh, you know, Jared kind of relayed to me, he was down in the, in the media pen. It was incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to look over there and see them because not only were they on the other side of the field, uh, the defensive linemen that weren't, uh, you know, going in the rep were all standing up behind the group. So you had to look past them to see the one-on-one to see anything. So anyways, just to lay the groundwork, uh, I know I noted this in the thread a couple of times. But Trent Ferguson is a massive human being, like just one of those where you look at and you're like, oh, my goodness, you're a big dude. And I say that 
and he carries very little fat, just looked good, moved well. You know, he's a guy that you get, you're going to get on campus and, and the coach is going to be like, man, we, we just, you know, we're going to trim you down maybe a slight bit and just, you know, get your speed up. And I think you've got, I think you've really got something there. Um, I thought Fox Crater moved incredibly well, had a, had a terrific base. Um, he was really thick through like the lower, le- uh, the upper legs and the hips. Um, really actually quite surprising for how, how, how thick he was there. Um, again, another good looking prospect. I saw Sandman Thompson a little bit. He's the 2025 commit for Oregon. Didn't really get a great feel there one way or the other. So I'm not going to say, um, you know, it, I'm not going to say too much there. I thought Samisi Tonga uh, out of Utah, another offensive lineman that I have noted as writing down, winning a couple good reps, um, you know, from the event. Uh, that's kind of that group in a nutshell. There were some others here and there. Peter, Peter Lange was there, 2025 offensive lineman out of California. I think Oregon will continue to evaluate him. Uh, but the defensive line, I think that this was probably the best defensive line group they've ever had at the event. And I struggle to say this because it's going to sound like it's hyperbole, but Zadavian Sims might've been the most impressive defensive lineman there at the event. And, and I'm saying that knowing that five-star Williams Nwaneri was there too. Williams was really good. And it's very, it's very easy to see why, you know, teams are high on him, but Zadavian Sims looked like an animal out there. So I think uh, between Zadavian Sims and Tion Gray, there's absolutely no buyer's remorse for Oregon on either of those prospects. Um, but the other guy that I jotted down a lot and went back and looked, so this is in my interlude when you you look at some of these guys, you think, holy crap, that's not a 2024. Um, it was Jakeem Stewart out of, out of Louisiana, and he's a class of 26. And you kind of watched him and you went, there's no way that that kid's a freshman going into a sophomore year. And, and he is, and he's exceptional. The kid's going to be a freak, probably going to be a five-star. If he's not, he's a very high four-star. Um, that kid really flashed a number of times uh, as well at the event. So I'm sure Oregon will continue recruiting him, but he's a class of 26, so he's a long ways out. Um, and uh, the good news is you've got him on campus really early if you're Oregon, so you can really lay the groundwork and, and start that relationship. The last one that I'll mention from that group, also a class of 26, but Tony Cumberland uh, at a desert mountain in Arizona. So again, a class of 26, but somebody in your footprint uh, in the state of Arizona. I just had noted that he had a couple strong reps during the camp. I don't really have a lot more to go on that. I wish I did, but um, you know, it's 90 minutes and you're trying to watch, you know, 12 position groups or whatever the number is. And and so we did our best, but yeah, those are the guys from the offensive line and defensive line at the camp. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about um, linebackers. Anything of note there? Yeah. Like again, linebacker, just like running back. So I'll keep it brief. This is not an event for them. This is not an event that caters to what uh, you're bringing linebackers in for. Uh, but one of the headliners was 2025 linebacker Marco Jones. He's out of California, San Ramon Valley. Uh, I have him down for just kind of his movement, his athleticism, his ability to move around in space. Um, you know, that's the guy that caught my eye. Keelan Moses out of Louisiana. I believe he's a four-star already in most of the rankings, 2025. Um, physical specimen, definitely looked like a dude. 
definitely caught my eye almost immediately. And then I had to look down and see who he was. And of course, then you're like, oh, yep, I know that name. And that's why. So the one that I hadn't heard of that I noted had several really good reps and I could see Oregon, you know, really becoming interested in is 2025 linebacker Kristen Thatcher. He's at Arbor View High School in Nevada. I actually haven't looked into him yet, so I need to do that when we're done. But he kind of had that hybrid linebacker safety makeup, you know, if you will, which is something, you know, that that Dan Lanning sees a lot of value of in his defense. Um, very athletic for a linebacker, had a pretty good build. I, I couldn't tell at first if he was a safety or a linebacker, but then I, I obviously figured out that he spent more time with the linebacker group. So, uh, again, that's somebody that I think Oregon could pay attention to um, because that, that type of skill set seems to be something that Lanning really likes uh, in his defense at linebacker. Yeah, I think you mentioned that, I, you know, whenever I've been to these type of events, like it, it, for whatever reason, like yeah, or the reason the structure, right, you're just not focusing on the run game. So it's hard to you're not you're not running, you know, you're not in pads, you're not running, <laughs> running, running plays. So it's hard to get a sense of linebackers and running backs and. and but you know you get little glimpses here and there and the drills they do set up and i think it's great to hear about these these future class kids it's early obviously in the process for all those guys but getting on the radar not just from an organ standpoint but from a fan standpoint who follows recruiting you know, you kind of start making these mental notes right now and or even physical notes right now and some of the names you're mentioning and let's chalk them up and in fact i'm going to go i'm going to take the rosters and i'm going to put them in a spreadsheet and then keep tabs on them i think that'll be really interesting to watch like which ones end up coming to oregon for unofficial visits and then official visits and then commits and uh, i think that'll be an interesting thing to track and i'm going to make a commitment to do that now i've done it publicly now so i guess i'm on the hook (laughs) (laughs) now you're committed yeah yeah let's move over to the defensive backs yeah so you know, I'll break it down just for me. Safety group, uh, Aaron Flowers uh, was the best safety there without question. Uh, I, I know I noted this in my in my uh, recap from the event. Outside of outside of one on ones, I can't recall a single football being thrown his direction. Um, and it's just and he took plenty of reps. He was out there uh, all the time. It wasn't like he hadn't, uh, you know, hid in the back of the line because he's committed already, blah, blah, blah. He went out there and was participating, and I don't think I ever saw a ball thrown his direction, which means he did his job. And so, you know, as far as Aaron Flowers, just a natural instincts around the football, natural instincts of where to be, uh, just, you know, he's your center fielder. He's the guy that covers all of that ground and makes, you know, really shrinks the window for the quarterbacks. Um, Absolutely no buyer's remorse there. Uh, And I do know I wrote about this a little bit in, in in right uh, right after I, I published my article, uh, 2024 safety Elijah Gordon added an offer from Oregon. He's out of Rancho Cucamonga. You know, I noted uh, in some of my notes on him that he had gotten a lot of attention from the coaches while he was there. And that's something that you watch for, right? You look at, okay, who are these coaches spending their time with? Who are they constantly around? Who is Dan Lanning constantly, constantly watching? Because obviously those are the priorities to them. I need to make them the priorities to me because the coaches are taking those guys serious. Um, and Elijah Gordon was one of them. He's just rangy. He's tall, uh, can move around really well. Uh, he might've had a couple balls thrown his direction uh, in seven on seven, but I don't recall him giving up anything. Of course, after you know, I published my article and, and started on the road home, and I think about 45 minutes later, he posted on Twitter, 
he'd gotten an offer from Oregon. I don't know that that means that Oregon will push forward there and push, you know, for a commitment or if that was kind of a let's make the offer and continue to evaluate him during his fall season that's upcoming um, and decide what to do there. You know, I'll investigate, but then both of those options are on the on the table. But as far as safety goes, that's really what stood out to me. Cornerback, uh, just real quick, Dakota Fields, we talked about originally didn't participate in the camp, so there's really nothing to report on him. There's no need for him to participate in the camp, obviously, if he doesn't want to. Um, but I did note both the St. Francis Academy duo, 2025 cornerbacks, Blake Woodby, Kevin Humes. Um, if that St. Francis Academy out of Maryland sounds familiar, that's where Ife Obadegu goes to school. Ife was originally supposed to come, didn't end up making the trip. Um, but those two guys did, and I had I had both of them circled early on, and of course kept watching them, and and uh, you know they perform they perform really well. Brandon Lockhart is a 2026 uh, cornerback out of uh, California. He's got USC, Oregon. He's got the major offers. He's one I also had noted down for multiple multiple reps throughout the event. I took a special interest in Josiah Molden simply because of his last name. Oregon fans are going to ask about him. He's a class of 2027. Didn't really have anything positive to say about him, but nothing negative to say about him. I didn't see him take a ton of reps. And again, he's a class of 27. So you're talking about a young the man that's going. Even, the, kid, the kid hasn't even played a high school football game yet. Correct. Yeah. So there's no which need to. Which is not get... a knock on him. Which is not a knock on him. He's got a lot. He's got a lot of time ahead of him, and I think he's going to be great. But like, it's it's a lot to expect an eighth grader to come in and and stand out at a camp like that. I mean, that's that's just not nobody's going to do that. Hundred percent. Which is why I wasn't gonna, didn't say anything negative or bad. I just pinpointed him. Didn't see him take a ton of reps. Again, there's no reason to, you know, say he's not a dude or say he's a total dude. I didn't see anything to suggest one way or the other. I look forward to seeing him again at SNL next year. All right, Hop. I think uh, that's a great coverage of that event and a lot of names that probably aren't familiar to most most Duck fans, even those who follow recruiting every day. Because you know, if they're anything like me, you know, it, 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 you you spend ninety eight percent of your focus on the current class. You know, and you yep. spend. I, I feel like every year I spend January through you know, April, May, kind of like learning the landscape and the names of the, you know, 30 to 40 kids who are, you know, likely on our, you know, are likely or possible Oregon commits. Right. And then, and then you kind of follow those 30 or 40 throughout the, throughout the summer and into the fall and into early signing day. And then it's like, okay, now we get to learn 50 new names all over again. <laughs> and so it, you yeah. know, it's hard to keep track of multiple classes um, as a fan, even one who follows it every day. So it's great to hear, you know, some of these early names. And, and like you said, we'll be tracking as they, as we go forward on those. Um, can any other general thoughts on recruiting and, you know, at Oregon or, or these future classes or current class or kind of where things are? I know, you know, there's seems like just like last July, there's, there's a lot of like, chicken littles out there, not just on, yeah. on the boards, but on Twitter and everyone, oh, the sky's falling. We didn't get this, this guy's commit. We didn't get that guy's commit. Our class is going to suck. The world's ending. Oregon's doomed. And I'm just like, I just don't get it. I mean, if you look, if you look back to last class in, at July, well, July 30th, we're out right now, the 2023 class looked much worse 
on July 30th of 2022 than the 2024 class looks on July 30th of 2023. We look way, we're way ahead of where we were a year ago. And yeah. there's a lot still on the board. And if you remember how Oregon closed in the fall and around signing day last year, uh, you know, why would you be so worried? Like, we're doing fine. We're fine. We're better than yeah, fine. I, better than fine. No, you're right. And I think that even backing up, you know, like to your point about, I know that you pay attention to recruiting probably more than most, you know, and even myself that does it for a living, I have a tough time, you know, kind of tracking some of these 25s now and I'm training myself. Like I have to, I mean, it's July and all of a sudden I now need to be more invested in the, in the upcoming class than I've ever had to be in my career. And, you know, part of that is me seeing that and, and, and kind of identifying that. And then it's also relaying that, you know, saying, Hey, look guys, it's, it's 2000, you know, it's, 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 it's uh, July 30th, 2023. We're already talking about the 2025 class. Oregon has three commits in the class already. And that's the earliest that's ever happened. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing how these timelines are moving up. And it's something that if you think about it, we're learning about it. I mean, what do you think the coaching staff is doing? They're having to identify that and see that and react to it. So, um, you know, maybe they're a little bit ahead of us, but it's not like they have a crystal ball to see that, you know, back a year ago, last July, that they need to be, you know, prepping for the 2025 class so hard. Now, what I will say as it relates to this 2024 class, like you said, this is, is still and already one of the best classes they've ever had at Oregon. Um, yes, they have taken a few quote unquote losses on the recruiting trail. It wasn't the best July. Um, and that's okay. I mean, it is what it is. None of these kids have signed any paperwork anywhere at this point. So at the moment, all anybody has done is made a reservation at their school of choice. That's it, including the Oregon commits. So the last thing I'll say, and I'm trying to do my best to, you know, learn ahead of the curve. It, like the coaching staff has to, but you need, we, we, we all need to remember that NIL is still incredibly new in recruiting, how it's used, where it's allocated, um, you know, the way that you uh, negotiate the offers you make. Okay. You know, I think if you're Oregon to this point, it's clear that they've been relatively aggressive in NIL. That's why they signed some of the guys they did in 2023. It's why they've got some of the guys committed that they do in 2024. Uh, but I'll use the expression, I don't see any reason for, you know, Dan Lanning and Marshall Malco to go and um, shoot their wad in July on their NIL budget. They have a budget, okay? They, they're, It's not like they have blank checks coming out of their butts, okay? They can't just write a check to whoever they want for however much they want. That's not how the arrangement works, okay? But they've got an NIL budget, uh, you know, just like a, a, an NFL team does. And I think that while you have seen them be aggressive in July, they've also been incredibly careful. So maybe a guy like, um, what's an example? Elijah Rushing, okay? We'll say Elijah Rushing went to Arizona and they made up a generous NIL offer that Oregon probably could have easily matched, okay? but. What, let's say they do. Let's say they match it right now and he commits to Oregon instead of Arizona. Okay, what do you think Arizona's going to do? Just give up? No, they're probably more than likely going to try and up that offer or increase that offer. 
or let's play, let's go even further. Tennessee's been in the weeds there with Elijah rushing just the same. What do you think Tennessee's going to do? They're going to give up because, oh no, that, that extra, you know, 200 grand or whatever, what I'm just using numbers was too much. We're out. No, they're going to sit there and wait and maybe up that offer in November and December. So I, I think, yeah, we can, we can be real about something. We can say that Oregon did take some recruiting losses in the month of July. I'm okay saying that, but I'm not saying they got knocked out. They haven't been knocked out at all. They've taken a couple losses. Okay. Consider this a major league baseball season. I'm pretty sure in major league baseball, you can lose like 75 games and still make the playoffs. I don't know. Baseball seasons are too long and I don't watch, but I think I'm close. But I think it's also (laughs) noting like they had a couple of big wins in July too. Yeah. Let's not, let's not forget. I think they pulled out four commits in July, including two really, really highly ranked linebackers who, who fit what Dan Lanning wants to do at that position. And, and quite frankly, was the position of by far the most need in this class. So huge, like, huge need. Like, I mean, those are, those were two huge gets. And then you got Riggs and then you got McCroy out of Alabama. You got a tackle out of Alabama, you know, a highly rated tackle out of Alabama. Like July was not this like, I mean, every, you know, it's like Justin Williams and Elijah rushing going elsewhere, like completely blinded some of the fan base to the wins that happened. And yeah, right. like you want to win them all, but you're not going to win them all. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I would say the Elijah rushing one stung just because it was Arizona, but Arizona made a ton of sense. If you look back at, if you take emotion out of it, it's like, okay, his brother's there. It's down the road from his house. You know, he's, he's I mean, it made a lot of sense. All right. Yeah. It's still Arizona, but it made a lot of sense. I think, uh, you know, Justin Williams, you lost him to Georgia. Okay. Last I checked, they, they win a lot of football games down there in Georgia and, and put their defensive players in the league. So, um, you know, that's a, a tough school to lose a guy to. And again, it's Justin Williams making a commitment in July. You think Dan Lanning just stopped calling him because he committed to Georgia? No. He's going to keep calling him and talking to him, and we'll revisit Justin Williams in November December again. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's not. We don't know. Uh, you know, just because he yeah, made yeah. his just, just, just to be clear, we're not dog man, and we're not sitting here saying we're going to flip a bunch of dudes in December. Like, No. It's not what you're saying. You're not predicting flips. You're saying that the staff is going to continue to recruit guys that they want to continue to recruit, and you never know what's going to happen. We're not predicting five flips, so don't don't get yeah. Don't yeah, get, I'm not saying people... yeah, I'm not saying he'll end up at Oregon. You know, the odds are he'll sign with Georgia, and that's totally fine. But I'm also saying that Oregon's going to remain in contact with him. So who knows? We'll revisit it in in, in five months and see if there's anything there or not. But uh, but yeah, I I, I love the class. Again, I think there's a lot of learning curve with NIL right now and how it's used in recruiting, okay? Because again, you don't really, you know, this isn't an auction, right? Where you make the final bid and it's done, okay? It's not, it's, maybe it is an auction, okay? But the final bid isn't done today. The final bid is done in December. So, uh, you know, there's no need to put your best and final offer on the table uh, when you're the first, uh, you know, first up at the auction. You know, you do that when you're the last person at the auction. So I think we'll revisit some of these in December and some of these guys, maybe Oregon's trending away from. Uh, I got a feeling that we'll end up sneaking out a couple five stars, at least in this class. But, you know, it's going to be it's going to be fun to follow. I, I still think this will be Oregon's highest rated, highest ranked class in program history. But, yes, they have some work to do to get to there. I agree. Yeah, and even if it's not, even if it falls slightly short numbers-wise from the 2021 class, which is the current high, highest ranked, 
uh, you know, a couple things I would note. One, the 2021 class was the COVID class, right? So I think what we're seeing across the country is that that if you look at that class compared to the classes before and after it, the rankings on those were probably the least accurate uh, because of COVID, because of the lack of visits, because of the lack of camps and evaluations and things. And then secondly, from an Oregon perspective, I don't know what, 80% of that class has already moved on without making significant contributions at Oregon. So, um, yeah. you know, whether even if this class falls a little short on the, on the numbers chart, uh, I would be shocked if this class isn't more impactful at Oregon over the long haul, because I think it's more, I think there's more balance and I think there's more true depth in this class, regardless of, of where it lands on the, on the final ranking compared to the 21 class. Well, and here's something that if somebody's done it, then I've missed it, but I don't think virtually anybody's, you know, kind of considered, and I myself haven't really considered it or talked about it until now. I'm not sure that anybody in the country last year or last two years, really, we'll just say under the last two years of landing, has done a better job at recruiting and the transfer portal combined. You know what I mean? I mean, I think that Dan Lanning has been very active in the transfer portal and brought in some really good players that had high impact at Oregon. Christian Gonzalez, Bo Nix, those guys immediately come to mind. Now we're looking at like a Jordan Birch, Bo Nix is back. You know, you're looking at, you know, Kyrie Jackson, some of these guys that were really highly coveted transfers and they're at Oregon combined with a really high ranked recruiting class. Now, I totally understand Georgia and Bama don't need to live in the transfer portal. They don't. Okay, I totally get that. But if you take the two pieces and put them together, I'd argue that Oregon is right behind, you know, those two schools in the total picture you know, compared with what they've done at recruiting. Sure, those guys have landed more five stars, five-star recruits, um, done a great job. They've signed incredible classes. But Oregon isn't that far behind them, you know, if you combine those two things. Now, again, you don't want to live in the transfer portal, but I think Dan Lanning's done a really good job balancing the two, recruiting at a high level, but also bringing in impactful transfers to kind of balance it out. Yeah, I think the only the only team that comes off the top of my my head as as being comparable in that regards probably USC. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, fair. And that's fair. And I th- although I think that there are, I think the difference between the two is is the trenches, right? I think if you look at both high school and portal, Oregon has landed a lot more in the trenches on both sides of the ball um, over the last two cycles than than USC has. It, but you know, time will tell how that plays out. But I, I think I think you're right. I think if you look at the two combined, um, you know, it, it's hard to say. It's hard to it's hard to find very many teams who he would put above Oregon in the in the two things combined. And and that's uh, like I said, that's a testament to a sound recruiting strategy and a sound use of your budgetary, you know, resources, if you will. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. All right, Hop, anything else you got for today or should we call it good and let you get back to uh, golfing or fishing or, or whatever you're doing today? I, I got to write more uh, content for SNL so I didn't get home till midnight and you and I woke up to do this, you know, at a decent time this morning. So uh, hopefully I can get a beer and, and maybe some dinner later today. But that's okay. I did. Yeah, take, you can uh, eat that monster fish you caught the other day. I was going to say I did, I did take my time off ahead of SNL knowing that I would be working 
uh, you know, the day of and after. So yeah, I, I did catch a, a, a terrific salmon over in the mouth of, of the rogue at gold beach. And we, uh, Let's see, there's four of us in the boat and we caught six. We were two away from limiting out, but uh, not. What did not that sucker that, weigh? Uh, I didn't, we didn't weigh him, but he was probably around 25, 26 pounds, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, so and almost we, as much as you. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> they, they were like, pick him up. I'm like, do this thing. How do you want me to pick him up? He's super heavy. Hang on. Uh, but we, we uh, were fortunate that we caught three that were very similar to that, like, probably within a, a couple pounds of that one that wow. day. So yeah, we caught some, we caught some hogs and had a really fun day and, and uh, celebrated with a few beers after. And then I played, and then I played salmon run golf course in Brookings the next day, which I don't know if you've oh, ever nice. played. Now, that is a, so you want to, you want to hear something crazy? Yeah. I've lived in Oregon my whole life. I've never been salmon fishing. No. Oh, wow. Well, I know, you know, you're up in the northern part of the state. You could head over to Astoria and do buoy 10. I've done that before, which is like a salmon derby. Um, I just but don't. Yeah. I just, I got to find someone to like take me out and do all that stuff, you know. Well, so I don't, so, I don't know anything about it. I don't. Yeah, I'm not the person that goes on the weekend, you know, and, and goes to the banks and go fishing and stuff. But I like to go a few times a year. And so with that being the case for me, my buddy uh, that I went with that I uh we went to high school together. He has guided since we've gotten out of high school. Uh, so that I just usually call him and give him a couple hundred dollars to jump in the boat. And he's got all the rods and bait and everything. And he, you jump in the boat and bring, bring beers and something to eat with you. And you just sit there and fish. So um, I recognize that not everybody has, you know, $250 at their disposal, but a couple hundred, I'm sorry, a couple times a year. Um, yeah. It just makes the most sense for me and your odds of catching a fish are a lot better because he clearly knows what he's doing and I do not. So <laughs> yeah, I need to, I need to get a hookup like that. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll work my line. I'll work, I'll work my angles and see if I can find someone to hook me up like that. Cause that's what I'm looking for. Like, I just want to hop in the boat and somebody take me to where the fish are and show me what to do. <laughs> yep. And that's what I do. I don't pretend to be this, this, uh, you know, championship angler or anything like that. I respect the people that do, but I'm the guy that shows up and he says, get be here at this time and hop in the boat and, and bring your jacket. And that's what I do. So, um, but we had nice. a blast, um, and it's uh, my buddy's name is Travis Malone, Malone's Guide Service. He does a tremendous job. He does he does Gold Beach in the summer for salmon, and then he comes back to my neck of the woods and fishes the Rogue uh, in the winter and fall. So um, always always have a fun time going with Travis. All right, Hop, sounds like a good time, and we will be uh, chatting with you soon. Thanks, buddy. All right, take care, everyone. Thanks for listening.